At QUT, we believe that teachers do more than build understanding. They build confidence, resilience. They help students to make sense of the real world. So shouldn't we give teachers all the support they need? We think so. If you feel the same way, this podcast is for you. Welcome to QUT Podclass. Every step that you take forward, you're actually changing a child's life. You're taking people with you. This idea of the silent classroom is also a little bit of a myth and could be getting in the way. That they have very little time to just take a breath, sit down and think, what, where do I want to go? What do I want to do with my career? It's amazing how many fresh ideas you can have when you can ask your question of the entire world. I've given it all I've got. I am exhausted and I need a break. I think that is part of it. She turned it around because she invested in herself. <laughs> Hello and welcome. I'm Madonna King and this is QUT Podclass. Explaining place values with turtle eggs, teaching area by catching prawns, and adults learning maths at a cemetery. Context. We know it's important in our everyday living, but how important is contextualised teaching and learning? And how might it come alive in today's curriculum? My guest is Dr Bronwyn Ewing, Senior Lecturer in the Faculty of Education in the School of Teacher Education and Leadership at QUT. Hello, Bronwyn. Good morning, Madonna. Now, you go to a party and someone asks you what you do. How do you answer that? First and foremost, I actually say that I'm a teacher of mathematics. Uh, you also work in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities and schools. I, I do, yes, and um, and also within TAFE institutes and um, out in communities, yes. So were you ever a classroom teacher? Yes, I was and um, enjoyed every moment of it and worked within the primary schooling sector. Today we're talking to teachers everywhere about teaching in diverse and perhaps alternative settings, principally using maths. How much does context matter in teaching? It matters a lot, Madonna, because for so long, we've actually had children, including ourselves more than likely, go through schooling where we are told to turn to page 16 and do exercises 1 to 10. Yeah. And those who are really fast at doing it, they might get exercises 1 to 20. And then, of course, an hour later where it's been a code of silence. It's, right, who's ready to mark? And then we all mark and then hands go up. Who got 80%? Who got 50%? But little did teachers realise it's in the back of the textbook. Are the answers. Are the answers. <laughs> so what did students do? Work backwards. Yes. And, of course, that's been a pattern for well over 100 years from my PhD. I identified that. And, um, and of course, that's where those questions around relevance come up. Where does this connect with my everyday life. So the students have been asking the question for a long time, but we haven't quite been able to make those connections to everyday life. So what we're talking about is how what we learn fits in with us yes. and our community, our family, our environment. Mm. So this it's a huge area. Can we look at how you've taught in some really different classrooms or environments? And let's start at the Torres Strait. All right. So... Um, I worked across the um, 15 schools, sorry, 17 schools on 16 islands. And the, the purpose of that particular project was the communities were wanting for mathematics to be connected to their context, to 
the employment that might be available on the island rather than it coming out of a textbook that might be written in another country, but it's used within classrooms here. And so what we did with that particular project was we worked with the elders in the community. So, for example, we had um, an elder come in and he was teaching the students how to make a canoe, a traditional canoe. And, of course, the big question was, how do you know your canoe when you paddle is going to go in a straight line? Yes. And, of course, it was there that we had to start exploring the mathematics that's tied Circumference, to Circumference, radius, All speed, direction. Yep. Well, um, my ex- example of teaching maths by catching prawns and fish yes. come from the Torres Strait Island, and I think that was teaching area. Of course, yes. So the Torres Strait Islanders are are brilliant navigators and brilliant seafaring people. And of course, they use the nets in the Torres Straits, whether it's in their traditional fish traps or indeed out into the ocean. So if you've got a fish net that's got a large hole, you're going to have a lot of fish swimming through your net. It's going to be the one that got away. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So um, the idea is that what we did was we looked at nets for catching different sea creatures. And, of course, if we think about prawns, obviously you don't want a great big um, area in terms of the internal space of the hole in the net. So we explored, so what size net would we actually need for the prawns? What would be the area of the hole? Exactly. Could you see the instant engagement in doing it this way? Absolutely, yeah, because there's a far richer story that comes with the nets than what there is with a worksheet that's printed on black and white. Well, and indeed, teaching this was part of a much bigger project that really embedded Indigenous perspectives into the curriculum. Yes, it did. So Mm -hmm. did you translate the maths curriculum into the local language? We did, actually. Um, I had the opportunity to work with Dana Oba, and he was, um, at the time, heading up the culture and linguistics team um, throughout the island schools and communities because they could see that the four languages of the Torres Straits, the traditional languages as well as the more modern language, Yumplatork, was um, slowly diminishing, obviously, as elders pass on. And so I had the opportunity to work with Dana and his team and what we did do was looked at the translations and it's the first time it's ever been done. Did that create a broader community engagement with the students and, and the school? I think it did because one of the things that we come to learn was that when students were assessed in their um, in their mathematics using the diagnostic interview, it gave the students the opportunity to be assessed and they could use their home language. So what you're talking about is providing relevant context in the class, isn't it? Yes. Wherever you are. Well, what's interesting here is it's not just in the classroom. The curriculum can be anywhere. Yes. It's The curriculum is in the community, not on a shelf. What do you think the difference in learning was between a child who was being taught mathematics without that context and a child who was learning from a curriculum in their own language and with nets or whatever else that made it real? I think what it does do is um, when it's it's made very real and very relevant, here is the rich, um, elegant story that comes with mathematics. Mathematics is not a sterile, bland, 
subject. I mean, it's everywhere around us. We just don't see it. But when we bring it out, that's when the students go, I know about that. You wrote a diagnostic assessment for this. What does that mean? And is it available if teachers wanted to have a look at it? Yes, I wrote the diagnostic and um, it was in particular, it was focusing on measurement and the topics within the measurement strand in the Australian curriculum. And what I did do was link the questions in the diagnostic. So it was an interview-based diagnostic. It wasn't one where we sit down and we'd give a pen and paper test, quite different. Um, and of course, then the students had the opportunity to either re- respond in home language or in English. Now, the purpose of the diagnostic itself, though, was to, to it was actually twofold, to identify the, the gaps in the student's understanding and then for the teacher to consider where to take them to next. But the second part was that the community and teachers were telling me they think that these children actually know the mathematics but find it very difficult to express or write in English, hence why they had the opportunity to express it in home language. And where would teachers find that diagnosis? Sure, that's actually available online and it comes in under my name, Bronwyn Ewing or Ewing, uh, B, and it's actually called the TAGI Maths for Employment Project Interview Diagnostic Assessment. Some of the lessons in it involve using a lunchbox uh, to explore centre cubes. Dugongs were at the centre of the life cycle teaching. Mm -hmm. But many of these ideas could be transferred to a a totally different environment Mm -hmm. very easily, couldn't they? Yes, yes. How would you describe the impact of the research project there? So I think the biggest impact was the shift in teachers' pedagogy, first and foremost. Do you think across the board we need to do more work to embed Indigenous perspectives into our learning? I think we do. And I think not just in mathematics, but I think right across. So let's leave the Torres Strait now and go to completely different classrooms or settings anywhere. How important is it to understand the lives and the families and even the challenges of the students who sit in front of you? I think it's very important. I think as classroom teachers, um, where once upon a time we were just um, designated classroom teachers, our roles have become quite diverse. And indeed, teachers are coming from diverse backgrounds and and families and, and communities as well. I think for teachers, what's critical here is getting to know your students. But a teacher has 25, 30 students in a class. They might have several classes over the day. Yes. How do they even start to do that? Mm, I think it can occur, but obviously um, not over a day. But over time, I think that when we when we come into school at the beginning of the year, um, there's nothing worse than being a classroom teacher and getting to Friday and saying, do you know what? I don't actually think that I spoke to Madonna this week. Yes. Okay. And I think it's about focusing. So each day, focus on an, another small group of students. So, of course, you've got the responsibility and a duty of care to all the students. However, each day, plan, okay, for these this day, I'm going to focus on these four students. And then the next day, another four and another four. Because background is so relevant. Someone told me this story about a research paper in rural Victoria where kids were coming to school 
and not taking in any maths or or literacy until the teachers visited their homes and realised they were getting up before dawn, they were milking cows. By the time they got to school, they were so tired, they actually needed time out for the first hour and then they were awake. Yes. You're nodding as though everyone knows that. Um, well, I, I don't think that everybody does. Um, uh, I'm always mindful of when mathematics gets programmed into school programs, but particularly with the schools that I work in. And of course, one thing I would never do, or very rare, would I uh, launch into maths lessons in the afternoon, yeah. even while I was teaching. And it's not something that I recommend. Um, because our children are tired. Well, our children are tired. There are children so there are a number of things. We do have children in regional and remote who may well work on properties um, uh, prior to um, coming to school. We also know that children can have potentially up to two to three hours immersion in TV or an iPad <laughs> before they come to school. Yes. So there's there's a lot of competition going on in terms of how to really capture the students so we have to work really hard as classroom teachers to make sure that when we are teaching mathematics or indeed any other subject area, that it is rich, um, that is informative and it captures the students. It was actually in a jail that you used turtle eggs in a maths class. I did. Explain that. I did. Well, um, there are parts of mathematics that you have got to be very deliberate in teaching. Now, I know that... Um, the children in the in the detention centre are quite diverse, and um, the students were not robust in or not strong in place value and understanding, you know, groupings of ones, tens, and hundreds. So what we decided to do was again look at a context. Well, we know that turtles lay up to around about two hundred eggs, um, and of course we also know that what's really important here is that the eggs are a food supply. And we actually had a lovely YouTube clip and we showed the elders actually tracking the turtles, but also um, some of the mothers were actually digging out the turtle eggs um, and showing the children how this is done. So here's where a significant practice is transgenerational. But what's also important here is that the children, we, we they had to count how many eggs they'd actually got. So they had to keep track. Now, when you've got a pile of 30-something eggs there, it's hard to count. Mm. So here's where the place value comes in. If I put those eggs into groups of, let's say, we know that 10 ones make 10, well, I can put them into groups of 10. So that means... I've got three groups of 10. So what did I use in the youth detention centre with the students? What I couldn't do was obviously bring in the turtle eggs, but what we did do was we used ping pong balls and that was the next best thing. But we had the context. Had the context. Did it then provide the engagement? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. And it was really quite interesting to watch the students too because they'd actually expressed a lot of interest in um, the fact that they were learning something about um, turtles and caring for culture. Yes. Okay. Um, but also as a food source. So not all the students had experienced eating turtle eggs. Um, they learned that um, this is how you actually dig for the turtle eggs, but you don't take all. So there's a, um, it's sustaining the turtle population as well as the food source. Does good contextualised teaching come automatically with experience or is it something that teachers have to work deliberately on? I think, and from my research, it is something that teachers have to work at. 
I think that it's easy to drop back to a worksheet or a textbook, keeping in mind, though, that there are schools who prescribe a textbook. Mm. The other issue is, too, that if teachers are not robust in their content knowledge and their pedagogical content knowledge, that could be one of the reasons why they drop back to worksheets and textbooks. I think with um, self-awareness, with understanding the world around us and then seeing how mathematics, you used the example earlier about the child who comes to school but they've milked the cows, they've done this, they've done that. Look at the mathematics that they've actually used before coming into school. Yes, before even sitting down in the classroom. Yes. Tell me about the horticultural patch. All right. So the horticultural patch is an interesting one because I had the students come in at the beginning of the year fairly negative about their mathematics. And um, so we, we, we talked about it and I also talked to their previous teachers and I decided that the curriculum is outside the classroom. And, of course, what I did do was that I went to the principal and said, right, I need to get these students involved in understanding mathematics, volume, area, perimeter, multiplication, grouping, renaming, all of those things. But I think I can do it through developing a horticulture patch. Their reaction? Oh, my goodness me, the students were delighted. The principal said, we'll do it, Bron. You show us how it works and we'll do it. So what did you do? So what we did do was um, I actually uh, managed to recruit some parents and really good strategy as a teacher, get your parents on board because they can actually assist you um, if they know that it's going to be benefiting their children's learning they will come in and assist you. So what we managed to do was chip out a patch. We actually had the children mark out the perimeter first and they measured it out. And it was, I think, four metres by five metres, which is a decent patch. And then, of course, we had to calculate, well, we need to put a boundary around it. So we had some old pavers at school. And, of course, what we did was we had three rows of corn and we had we planted five plants in each row. Well, straight away, you've got a multiplication array. And you can look at it and go, oh, three rows of five or five rows of three. And is it that simple for children then to see it rather than hear it and understand it? Yes. What it means is you bring in the context so the students have got the imagery, they've got the experience. Now, with iPads in classrooms now, you take a photo of that experience and then you bring it back into the classroom because you can't be rushing out to the horticulture patch for every lesson. You've got the image, put it up on the interactive whiteboard and talk to that. So you've taught area by using fishnets, place value by using turtle eggs. Tell me about Pythagoras's theorem in a cemetery. <laughs> It's a bit weird, isn't it? It sounds a bit weird. <laughs> These were adult learners? Yeah, they were adult and learners. And why were they in a cemetery? What were they working on? Okay, so they were doing a, a civil construction course through the TAFE Institute and one of the projects that they had to work on that was assigned to them by the council in conjunction with the TAFE and the instructor was to build a path through the cemetery. So why did they need Pythagoras's theorem to do that? Okay, so they had to make sure that they got that path straight. Now, if you go into a cemetery, you generally find that there are pathways and there wasn't actually a pathway, although there was a clearing that you could make a pathway. So what they had to do, because they found that when people came to the cemetery, they'd just walk all over the place. 
So um, they had to make sure that they'd set the square properly. And that took a number of goes. So we had lots of spray can crosses everywhere and swinging ropes around to make sure that we got the right angle and what have you. But eventually we got there. And one particular student left a lasting impression on you. Oh, he did, yeah. So he really cottoned on to this idea of algebra. And by the time the team had actually got this path uh, formed up, um, they realised this was such a good activity because they could see that they didn't really learn a lot about it in the classroom. It was where they implemented it that they learnt the most. Anyway, he left that afternoon and, of course, this student came back booming into the classroom with a great big smile and said, guess what I did? I went to the library after work yesterday afternoon and I asked the the library person for a book on algebra and he said, no, I've got it and I am going to learn all there is about algebra. What did that make you feel like? I actually felt really excited for him. Um, I felt um, as a teacher, I've I've hit the jackpot, yes, um, so to speak. And it um, shows the value of making lessons relevant, doesn't it? I think so. But you know, I think there's something else in this too, and that is connecting and just yarning with these people. Yeah. During the learning. Yeah, whether they're adults, whether they're kids. Yeah. In fact, I wonder if sometimes we focus on our students' struggles, not always their strengths. And you told me a wonderful story involving a little six-year-old. Oh, look, I, um, I've had a number of wonderful projects in the special schools, but this particular child this day, um, well, actually, my task was to model to the teachers who were observing in the classroom, there were 15 of them, model a geometry lesson using the students. Now, these students had never met me before, so this was interesting territory for everybody just to see what would happen. But I took some lovely um, geometric shapes in, um, magnetic shapes, and they're skeletal so the children can put their fingers through it. And this particular child, over a, a short period of time, proceeded to construct a dodecahedron. And as part of that, he constructed a cube on the inside of it, which was... wow. I mean, the first shape was extraordinary, but it was it became yeah. magnificent. Um, talking about a growth mindset here. Anyway, so everyone was just, you, you know, mouths open. This was just amazing. We had no idea this child could do this. And then in the next breath, it went whoosh off the table and onto the floor. Another that, child had knocked it over. Yes, yeah. And it just completely, it just went to bits. What was the reaction of the little boy who built it? Well, that was what we were all waiting for. And he proceeded to walk over and pick up all the pieces, come back and reconstruct it, which was just one of the most extraordinary moments in my teaching. To see a child not construct it once, but to do it twice. Yes. And um, and you've got to understand classrooms when a child kind of whooshes it. And I mean, you could have a breakout of all sorts of things there, but no, very calmly got it, could reconstructed it. But what was even more important was that because these shapes were hexagonal shapes, and the question was asked by his teacher, "Where have you come to learn about these shapes?" And he was not an overtly verbal child, and his word was beehives. And, of course... Um, we've seen a beehive. He's, he's ex- somewhere in his young life, he has 
experienced a beehive and he's made the connection between the shape of a beehive and a hexagonal shape. And that request to build something just tapped into that potential? It did, yep. Do we too often underestimate the potential of the students in front of us? I think that that could be the case, but then I think also that when we start to look at the day-to-day runnings of a classroom, and in the special schools, the, the classroom numbers, student numbers are a lot smaller, but even within that environment, um, I really think that the teachers need a major award for the work that they do in the in the special schools because it is such a complex environment when you look at the the disabilities that the children come into school with. Um, but I, it could be an underestimation, yep, but I think that um, there's a number of reasons for why we don't always see those opportunities coming. So you've told us some wonderful stories, but, but the key to this must be the how, how teachers provide the instructions behind this. Of course. And of course, we all know that we can't be taking children out to the horticulture patch day in, day out. So that how, there's going to be a number of practices that are tied to that. So it could be around the kinds of questions that um, teachers ask of children. It could be around the interaction between students, but also teacher to student, student to teacher. So it's opening up so that students have that opportunity to inquire, to investigate and explore. Are you recommending that in addition to what we teach, we put a particular emphasis then on how we teach it? Absolutely, yeah. So we can't just have the content knowledge and we're just going to pour it. The children come in empty, we're just going to fill them up. Yes, we've got to have that content but we've also got to be mindful of how we're actually going to be teaching that content. So what's critical is that we've got the context. We've got numerous contexts. We've got the context outside the classroom. We've got the context of the children's stories or indeed your own story, but then consider what mathematics is going to fit with that context and then how are you going to actually go about it. We've talked about alternative, very different settings. We've talked about embedding Indigenous perspectives of relevant context in lessons. What's the message you'd like to leave us all with, irrespective of the makeup of our classes or where we might teach? I think that, for me, the curriculum doesn't exist just in the classroom. The curriculum is all around us. So think about what's around us that we can actually draw in to teach children. And it's implicit in that, that we need to know our students well. Of course, yeah. And I think this is where we need to have those yarns or those conversations. And, you know, many a time I actually sit on the floor with children and just talk to them. And it's surprising what we can find out. Dr Bronwyn Ewing, thank you. Thank you, Madonna. That concludes this episode of Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about this topic, be sure to check the show notes where you'll find links that can take you through to rich sources of information and inspiration. Podclass is brought to you by the QUT Faculty of Education. If you'd like to keep learning, QUT offers a range of professional development and postgraduate study options. QUT, because the more you learn, the more they learn.